The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Ruth chapter 2, we find there that th- these are two widowed women in this day and age, and they don't have anything. And so they're forced to, to go out and beg for food, to look for pity and mercy uh, somewhere out among the townspeople. And God's law had provided for the widows and orphans to be able to glean among the edges of the field. And so Ruth, a Moabite, learns about this among God's people, and she goes out and she gleans. Well, she just happens to find herself in the field of Boaz. And Boaz happens to be a close relative of Naomi, and in God's law also, we're going to learn today a little bit more about this, he set up a provision for a redeemer, a kinsman redeemer, and Boaz is a potential kinsman redeemer. And so he is, Boaz is incredibly kind to Ruth as she gleans. I mean, he just gives her everything, makes sure she has water, food for the day. She comes home with a month's worth of groceries. I mean, he's just gone overboard to take care of her. And so we leave chapter 2 thinking there is a romance budding here. And perhaps Ruth and Boaz are smitten, and Boaz is maybe going to pop a question at some point. He's going to propose But we end, we go from chapter 2 to chapter 3, and a few months go by, and nothing. Boaz has made no move. Sort of reminds me of some of my days before I was married. You know, it's like, I'm just afraid to make a move, you know. And, And this is too much for Naomi to take. And so, as a good mother in law, she meddles. Tongue in cheek there. And she, she gets involved and she says to Ruth, Ruth, he's taking too long. I got a plan. Ruth, here's what you do. He's going to be down there at the threshing floor tonight. You go down there. I mean, b- before you go, Ruth, wash yourself up, put on nice clothes, perfume yourself up, and then go down there. And last week we saw this sort of risque scene at the threshing room floor where she uncovers his feet, basically proposes to Boaz. And this would have been unthinkable, not only because she's a woman in this culture proposing to a man, but she is a, she's a widow and, and, and doesn't have anything, and she's proposing to this wealthy landowner. This is just unthinkable, and Boaz does the unthinkable, and he says, yes. And he receives her proposal, and he says, all that you have asked for, of me, I will do for you. I will cover you with my wing. He says, but... There's a kinsman closer than I. And by law, he has the first right to redeem you. And Boaz is such a man of integrity that he, will, he cannot rest. He cannot say, I will swoop in around him and redeem you as my wife. Instead, he says, I must first go to this man and see if he wants to redeem you. If he will, then great. But if he doesn't, don't, don't worry. I will redeem you. So that's where we're kind of left. We're left with this, this suspense there. Ruth goes back to her mother-in-law, and, and her mother-in-law says to her, just wait, because the man will settle the matter today. And that's where we pick up the story. I want to do something a little different today. I have been reading large chunks and explaining large chunks and explaining. Today I want to just read a couple of verses and explain as we go through. But the first point that I would have you to see today is that not just anyone can be a redeemer. Not just anyone can be a redeemer. Let's look at verse 1. Chapter 4, Ruth, verse 1 says, Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend. 
sit down here. And he turned aside and he sat down. Now, Naomi, we see immediately in verse 1, she was right. I mean, the sun has not gone down again before he's there at the gate wanting to settle this matter today. We find him at the gate, and the gate in this this day and age was more than than just the the place of entry where it was heavily guarded. It It was also the local gathering spot for citizens. So picture walking into to McDonald's on any morning of the week and you see this, this group of older gentlemen there drinking coffee together. This was sort of like the gate. That's what I picture. But also at the gate, this would have been the place where official judicial business would have been taken care of. This is where matters were decided. It was at the gate. And that's why Boaz is here. And we read there in verse 1 that the mystery redeemer just happens to come by. Now, what did we learn earlier about happenstances? They don't just happen. We're meant to see here that God has, has, has brought this mystery redeemer, we don't even know his name, to the gate at the same time Boaz is there. Now, let me just explain a little bit more about this principle of a redeemer, a kinsman redeemer in God's law. Two things were in mind here. Uh, God had established this, this system to protect land and name. First off, land. Land meant everything in Israel. It, the, the land was given and divided among the tribes, and it was supposed to stay with the owner. If, if not with the owner, if the owner passed away, it was to stay within the clan. We read early on that Elimelech, chapter 2, was, was a mem- or, or, or Boaz was a member of the clan of Elimelech in Bethlehem. So it had to stay in this clan. Leviticus 25, 25 gives us this, this land around the law. It says, if your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, then his nearest redeemer shall come and redeem what his brother has sold. Now, this is probably what Elimelech had done before they had gone to Moab. He probably, in his mind, had exhausted every possibility. They were starving. He had this land. So he said, I will temporarily sell this land to get money to feed my family. God's law also had the the year of the Jubilee, which every 50th year the land was to revert back to its original owner, all of this. But he's in his mind probably sold this land to someone else who's in possession of it when Naomi and Ruth return. Okay? The second side of that, the law also is set up to protect and to maintain the name of the person who has passed away. The the name is important. The progeny, the the carrying on of the family line. In Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 5 and 6, hang with me, says, if brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. Now, in our day and age, this is strange. Like, this is just kind of creepy to us to think about this. You know, I don't have a brother, a brother-in-law, you know, if I were to die... My wife's thinking, "Uh uh-uh, no way, (laughs) right? That's just kind of creepy to us, but this is normal in this day. This is what God had established. And even though Boaz is probably not the brother of Elimelech, the law here is not held to the letter, but to the spirit. And it's the closest relative, the closest kin, then has this responsibility. 
if this redeemer says, uh uh-uh, I don't want to marry her, I'm not redeeming her, then she is to go to the elders at the gate and she is to tell the elders. The elders are then to pull aside this potential redeemer and say, no, look, in the law, you have this responsibility. If he still refuses, get this, the widow is to go up to him at the gate, pull his shoe off his foot, spit in his face, and say, you will forever forward be known as the house of the pulled-off shoe. How do you like that? Right? I mean, that's, that's, I, this is weird to us, but it's normal for them. Obviously, what's at stake here is if this widow goes and pulls off the shoe, spits in his face, you'll be forever known, house of the pulled-off shoe. This is disgrace. And this is dishonor. So honor is at stake here. Don't get caught up in the shoe and all this. It's honor. It's acting like our God. What would our God do in this situation? He would redeem. And so obviously a redeemer has to be an honorable man. Boaz here, he says, he's there at the gate and he sees this mystery redeemer walk by and he says, friend, come over here. Now, the reason he says friend is probably because he doesn't know his name. We've all done this, right? The, the word in Hebrew is, is pronounced something like palmoni almoni. It's these meaningless rhyming words put together to make sort of a, an expression or, or a phrase. It'd be something like in our language, hodgepodge or heebie-jeebies. I know neither what a hebe or a jeebie is, but put them together and I understand. And so what's going on here is when he says friend, it is the equivalent of saying something like, Mr. So-and-so, or in our vernacular, hey you. We've done this at times when you see someone and you should know their name, but you don't, and you say something like, hey buddy, that's never good unless you're talking to Buddy Hall, right? That's what's happening here. In verse 2, let me read this. Verse 2 says, He took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. What's happening here is Boaz wants this to be official. He indeed wants to settle the matter today. He's gathering this quorum. In order for this to be legal, there has to be this quorum of elders. So he gathers these ten men, has them sit down. He wants nothing to go go wrong. Apparently, he's been to the Department of Motor Vehicles. Everybody's had this experience where you go and you get there, you've called ahead of time, they tell you what you need to bring, you get there, and when you get there, they say, well, no, you need this as well. And Boaz is saying, I don't want to make any mistakes here. He gathers these ten elders. Verses 3 and 4. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Now, when Boaz here says, tell it, buy it in the presence of all those gathered and the elders, by now, not only are the elders there and this mysterious redeemer and Boaz, 
But also now the, the townspeople have begun to gather in. And, and here he, he brings up the first matter of business. And he says to this mysterious redeemer, there is land for sale. And it is a good deal. Naomi has come back and she technically has this land that she needs to sell. Now, according to the law, if the, if the man died, there is no provision in the law where the land then goes to the spouse, to the wife. It can go to the son, it can go to the daughter, it can go to the brother, but it's never specified that it goes to the wife. And so Naomi here is sort of in a pickle. Technically, the land belongs to her, but she needs a redeemer to reclaim it from whomever is in possession of it at this moment. And Boaz presents to Mr. So-and-so an offer that he cannot refuse. I mean, you, if you understand what's being said to this man, he is the only one who can redeem this land. He has the right to redeem it. Nobody else except for Boaz, but this guy has first rights. And if he does, guess what? He gets this good piece of land that he can farm and produce crops off of, and eventually it, it, will, it will stay in his name, and eventually it will be passed down to his children. Well, there's, no real, there's not a lot of cost to him because all he's got to do is take on this, this wilder, widowed lady, and she's past the point of childbearing years, and so there's no threat of her having a child that would, that would threaten the inheritance, that would take this land back away from him. So all he's got to do is feed this lady, keep her up, and the land is his. This is it. This is, this is a pretty sweet deal. And so Mr. So-and-so here says, I'll take it. At this point, our hearts sink. A couple of commentators I, I read talked about, we don't know where Ruth and Naomi are at this point. I mean, Naomi has said, Ruth, just wait, because he's not going to rest till he settles this matter today. They know that you settle matters like this at the gate, so perhaps... Ruth and Naomi are in the crowd that's gathered around with the elders. Perhaps they're waiting with bated breath, and they're hoping that this mystery redeemer will say, I'm not interested, you redeem it. And at this moment, you have to feel what Ruth probably felt. And while she would have been glad to have a redeemer that would provide, at this moment she's probably thinking, but Boaz is the one I love. And, and her heart sinks. And, and if the story ends here, then you and I are mad. But verse 5 comes along. In verse 5 we read, Then Boaz said, The day that you buy the field, he says this to the mystery redeemer, to Mr. So-and-so, The day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Now, wait a minute. This was not disclosed at the front. And, and the mystery redeemer, Mr. So-and-so, hears this, and what he realizes is that while Naomi may be past childbearing years, Ruth is not. And he has a responsibility not just to redeem the land, but to prolong the name of Malon and Elimelech. And when a child is born, the land that he is acquiring he will possess no longer because the land will become that of the children. 
And in, at this point, he looks back and he says, it's no longer just a, an older lady who's a widow. Now, this is way more. And don't miss the fact that Boaz, while he is perfectly okay with Ruth's Moabite status, he throws in there Ruth the Moabite. And he reveals some prejudice here with Mr. So-and-so. And so in verse 6, we read, The Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. What we see here is he says, on second thoughts, you take it. And he backs out of this deal as, as fast as someone who's walked into the wrong restroom and realizes it. You ever done that? Whoa, oh, get out of there fast. And that's what he does, right? And so in verses 7 and 8, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, he drew off his sandal. So before Naomi gets a chance to pull his sandal off, he says, no, 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 I got it. And he pulls his shoe off and he says, you redeem it. And he doesn't want any part of the pulled off sandal and having that mark on him. Verse, this was a legal custom uh, also here. And we don't understand this as a legal custom because we use contracts, things like that. But this was a legal custom and probably it's because if there was a future dispute at any point about who owned the property and his right to marry this widow, he could just produce the shoe. I got the shoe. It's the contract. Look at verse 9. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day, and I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and all that belonged to Malon. With a sandal, this is the way I picture it, with a sandal in hand. I think he turns and he looks at all the crowd, the elders and all that have gathered, and he takes this sandal and he kind of points it at all of them and he says, listen, you are witnesses today that I have acquired this. Not just all that belong to Elimelech. In other words, I just don't want the land. I have acquired today all that belong to Elimelech, to Malon, and to Chilion, which means I want Ruth too. This is an incredible picture here. What we see in these first nine verses is this contrasting of a qualified redeemer versus an unqualified redeemer. Not just anyone can be a redeemer. A redeemer must have three things. Number one, they must have the right to redeem. In this story, Mr. So-and-so and Boaz are the only two people in the story who have the right to redeem. They both have this right. They also must have the resources. We have no reason to think that Mr. So-and-so doesn't have the resources to do this. I mean, he, he jumps out there and says, I'll take it. Apparently, he has the resources. But the third thing a redeemer must have is the resolve. And this is where the line stops. Mr. So-and-so says, I can't. Boaz says, I can and I will. And this is the difference. Boaz is willing to reclaim land that he may never own. Boaz here is willing to care for an aging widow who brought little to nothing into his household. 
Boaz here is willing to marry a Moabite widow who, from all indications, will provide no sons. Boaz took all the risk without any of the guaranteed reward. By doing so, he gave us a picture of how God redeems us, and we'll get to that later on. So that's the first point. Not just anyone can be a redeemer. Second point, when life isn't living up to your expectations, God is up to more than you realize. When life isn't living up to expectations, God is up to more than you realize. The theme of this entire book is God's redemption in the midst of our mess. We started this with Elimelech leaving the promised land, and that's when it all started to go downhill. In the midst of our mess, God redeems, and we're going to see how he does this. He's at work behind the scenes. Look at verse 10. Verse 10 Boaz is still speaking. He says, Also, Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance and the name of the dead may, that, the, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Now, we can't help but notice how far Ruth has come. I want you to see how far she's come. In chapter 1, Ruth is this Moabite widow who left everything to cling to a mother-in-law who doesn't even want her and considers her to be less than nothing. This is her at the beginning. And she's, she's the bottom of the barrel. That first sermon I preached was a road to nowhere. This is how, where Ruth finds herself. I'm on a road to nowhere. Chapter 2, Ruth, she's the poor servant girl. She's dependent on the, the pity of strangers and, and she begs for food. And she finds this pity in the field of Boaz. He shows her favor. In chapter 3, she's no longer the, the slave girl in the field, but she presents herself as the handmaid who proposes to the wealthy landowner without being rebuffed. And then here in chapter 4, she's no longer Malon's Moabite widow. Now she's Boaz's wife. Look at where she's come from. This is an amazing story. This is redemption at its best. This is how God redeems. She goes from worthless to wife. Secondly, look at verses 11 and 12. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. I want you to see here how far the townspeople have come. I mean, here, when they say, We are witnesses... In the Hebrew language, there's really no word for yes. And so basically, this is as if they're saying, amen, we are witnesses. The people then begin to rain down blessing on Boaz and Ruth. And they, it's particular, it's just kind of odd, it's peculiar here. They say, may, you be like, may she be like Rachel and Leah. And this would have been extraordinary to the people who were there listening because Rachel and Leah were the mothers of the sons who became the 12 tribes of Israel, who built up the house of Israel. This would, this would have been incredible here for, for them to, to hear this because what they're basically asking here, the citizens, the townspeople, they're asking God to grant this foreign woman a place 
among the matriarchs of Israel. This is incredible. And then they say, may you be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. And while this is, that particular story is a story of kinsman redemption gone bad, there in, in that story, Tamar was left without a redeemer, so she dressed herself up um, in a rather scant, seductive way, and she tricks her father-in-law, and she bears twins. Tamar bears these twins, Perez and, and Zerah. These are the ancestors of the tribe of Judah. And, and the, po- the people, the point that they're making is that if God would so bless, give a double blessing to something that was so wicked, how much more will he bless you, Boaz, with Ruth in this kinsman redemption gone right? And this is, this is what they're praying. And this is how God redeems. He moves them from whisperers to witnesses. Remember when they first came into the city? There were probably these whisperings. That's, that's Naomi. That's Ruth the Moabite. And now they stand boldly and say, we are witnesses. May your house be like Rachel and Leah. May it be like Perez. And this is a beautiful picture here that God moves them from whisperers to witnesses. Look at verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Now, you say, what's so remarkable about that? Well, what's remarkable is that for ten years in Moab, married to Malon, she had apparently been barren. There were no kids. And here, the writer here gives particular detail and says, the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. And this is a picture of, again, how God redeems. He moves her from barren to bearing. She bears a son. He opens the womb. Verses 14 through 16. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child, laid him on her lap, and became his nurse. Doesn't, she, she's just taking care of the child here. But, but see how far Naomi has come. Verses, uh, there in, in chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, she comes back into the town and she says, Don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. For God's dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and now I've come back empty. And here in chapter 4, we finish out with this picture of her taking this baby boy, this new grandson, and sitting on her lap. And can't you just see in this moment Naomi beaming? And can't you just see her smiling away? She's gone from this bitter shell of who she was to all of a sudden joy has flooded back into her life. And now the women here say to her, blessed be the Lord who's not left you without a redeemer. Specifically, they point to the fact that this child who's been born will care for you well into your old age. And this daughter-in-law, Ruth, she loves you. She's better than seven sons. Don't forget She's lost a husband and two sons. And they say to her, Ruth's better than seven sons. Seven in the Bible often being the number of completion. And here they're saying, this is ideal. God has so blessed you with a redeemer, and he's given you this daughter-in-law who's better to you than a complete number of sons. 
And Ruth, or Naomi takes this child in her lap and just beams with joy. And this is how God redeems. He moves Naomi from empty to full. And here's where the story takes a big twist. This is the surprise of all surprises. I want you to see how much bigger the story really is than Ruth and Naomi and Boaz. Verses 17 through 22. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. These are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron Ram, Ram Aminadab, Aminadab Nashon, Nashon Salmon, Salmon Boaz, Boaz Obed, Obed Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. And, and when they're hearing this, the first hearers of this story, the author writes this, it's being read to them. When they hear this, they know Israelite history at this point. And when they say the women gave him a name and they called him Obed, they go, wait, what? Obed? I mean, that Obed? Obed, the grandfather of David? The greatest king in our history? Not the king of our own making, but the king that was God's choice to be the king? That Obed? And suddenly they realized that this was more than a story written for their entertainment. This is more than a simple love story. This is more than a Hallmark special. This is way bigger than that. And I would take you even further because we have a perspective that even the writer of Ruth didn't have. He stops the story at David. We know that the story didn't end with David. We know the story led all the way to Jesus. If you will, turn over with me to Matthew uh, chapter 1. If you've got a Bible, just turn over there to, to Matthew chapter 1. And, and we come to the, the opening here. And we come to these genealogies in Scripture. And sometimes we're tempted to just run right by them and say, well, that's just a bunch of names. Nothing there. I don't know about them anyway, so let me just get to the stuff that really matters. And here in the genealogy we see it. Look at verse, verse 5. Matthew chapter 1, verse 5 says, And Salmon fathered Boaz and Ra- and by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And then if you'll skip down and go to all the way, if you kept reading and went all the way through this genealogy, and you came down to verse 16... Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. This is the story to end all stories. We understand that this is how God redeems. That God is at work behind the scenes in such a way that he moves the meaningless details of our lives monumental things in his kingdom. Ruth and Naomi and Boaz had no idea that the Messiah would come through what they were going through at the moment. And I would say to you, you and I don't know what God's going to do through what's going on in our lives right now. No, there will never be another Messiah. There is no need for one. Because Jesus is the perfect Redeemer. If I go back to my first point, not just anyone can be a Redeemer, Jesus breaks the mold. 
those three things that are required there, they, they must have the right, the resources, and the resolve. Oh, Jesus had the right because Jesus took on flesh and became a close kinsman to us. Didn't have to. He was worshipped throughout all of heaven, had been for eternity. God, the, the Trinity, had, was lacking nothing. In the beginning was God and, and the Word was with God and was with and all this. Jesus, Holy Spirit, God there. They need nothing. Yet Jesus, who is God of very God, takes on flesh to become a brother to you and I. He has the right. Not only does he have the right, he has the resources. If you read through the Gospels, you see Jesus never sinned. He never once disobeyed the Father. That he lived a perfectly righteous life. That the only thing that could redeem you and I from our sin could be perfect righteousness. That our unrighteousness, our disobedience is what has earned us the wrath of God. But Jesus took on flesh and came and earned the resources in order to switch places with us, to buy us back. He has the resources. But not only, he doesn't stop where Mr. So-and-so stops. He doesn't just have the right and the resources. He had the resolve. He went all the way to the cross. But there in the garden when he prayed, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. I mean, if, if Jesus stops there, then maybe we say, well, there's maybe a different ending to the story. But Jesus does not stop there. Jesus said, nevertheless, not what I will, but Father, your will be done. And he goes to the cross willingly. No one takes his life. He lays it down. He has the resolve. He's Boaz at the gate. He is the greater redeemer of our story and all of human history. This is how our God redeems. So the question that I will end with today is, how will you respond? Will you respond like Naomi? Will you realize that even though you, your, your wandering has cost you greatly, it's cost you everything, it's, it's made you bitter. You've wandered from God and you're just, you're just a shell of what you, you thought your life would be at this point. Will you respond like Naomi and see that he has not abandoned you? Will you respond like Ruth? That when you did not belong to God, and those closest to you considered you to be worthless, will you understand that he has pursued you to include you? You see, all Ruth and Naomi could do was receive redemption. For Ruth, leaving everything of her former life was but a small price to pay for the reward that she would receive. And she, there's that moment there in chapter 1 where she says, no, no, your God's going to be my God. And she leaves everything. For Naomi, she's bitter at this point. She's angry with God. She's, she's hurting on the inside. She is a shell of who she used to be. Turning her face toward the, the warm sunlight of God's love and grace would have been a battle for her. She had heard all the stories of the faithfulness of God, but in this moment, it's probably a battle for her to turn her face toward the warmth of His love. But as she does, He slowly fills her heart with joy again. Will you respond like Mr. So-and-so? Will you decide that the price is too high? And will you walk away from God's offer?
Will you respond like Boaz and accept your role in God's story of redemption? See, as a Christian, if you are a believer in this room, you've been named a close relative of the Redeemer. It is not your right, it's not your right to redeem anyone. He's the one who redeems. Christ is the ultimate Redeemer. But you have been named a close relative. Redemption is now your part. In that, as 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, that God has reconciled us and he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Will you take up your role? Will you see the people that are around you that don't know this redemption and will you be the one who says, I will love you when no one else loves you. I will be kind to you when no one else is kind to you. And I will do it in such a way that ultimately it will point to the Savior so that you might see him and receive his redemption. As a Christian, you and I have the resources of heaven at our disposal. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, all authority had been given to Jesus, and he told us to go and make disciples. And he says, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he told them, you're going to receive the Spirit and you'll be my witnesses. It's not just a promise to those that were alive that day. That's the promise to every single believer. Jesus had been teaching this in Mark chapter 6, verse 8, when he sent his disciples out and he said, don't take anything with you. He was teaching them to rely on him. He was teaching them that Philippians 4.19 is true, that God will supply every need of yours according to the riches of glory in Christ Jesus. We have the resources to be those agents of redemption. The only question left is, will you have the resolve? Will you count your life like Paul's and say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain? And will you pour out your life in response to the redemption you have received in Christ so that others too might one day be around that throne and worship the better Boaz? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you, God. Thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for the simplicity, God, of it. And God, how, how clear and ultimately it points to you and the redemption that you have offered. Lord, I thank you that it is not a book of, of rules that we, we have to obey in order to gain favor with you. Lord, if that were the case, we would still be without hope. But Lord, because of your grace in sending the Redeemer, God, we can now come close. You've welcomed us into your home. You've invited us to your table. And so, God, I pray that we would respond as those who have truly been redeemed. Lord, glorify yourself in Jesus' name. Amen. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.